Hello, and welcome to What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. I'm Alex Few, the reporter at Fintech Futures. Joining me for this episode, which is sponsored by Finos, is Gabriele Colombro. He's an executive director at open source financial services community, Finos. We'll be talking collaboration, innovation, adaptation, all that good stuff, looking at the power of the open source approach to developing better financial services. Welcome to the show, Gab. Would you like to introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your role at Finos and the sort of work that you're doing there? Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me here. I'm excited to have the opportunity to share with you some of what we do at Finos. So yeah, let me introduce myself. I'm Gabriele Columbro. I'm the executive director of Finos, the FinTech Open Source Foundation, and recently announced also as general manager for Linux Foundation, our parent organization in Europe. As you can probably hear from my accent, I am Italian, but I'm based in the Silicon Valley. I'm speaking to you out of San Francisco and have been born and bred in open source very much since my master thesis now. Yeah, almost 20 years ago, I've been partaking to open source communities. I've been building communities. I've been working in commercial endeavors based on open source. And more recently, I've been building a very strong community of financial institutions, fintechs, technology vendors, and regulators even collaborating on open source in the understanding that financial technology is the next big milestone for open source to conquer. We have seen open source really delivering the most important pieces of innovation over the last 20 years. And over the last five years at Finos, uh, we were able to really uh, make open source a first-class citizen in this industry, something that, frankly, it's quite unprecedented. This is a very conservative industry, as you know. And so we're just honestly at the beginning. We think we just scratched the surface in terms of the possibilities and opportunities that open source and open collaboration really can enable in this industry. So very keen to talk more about it and how does that fit into the landscape of innovation and better financial technology that I know you guys are really focused on. Yeah. It sounds like you've been very busy and you have big plans. Thank you for your intro. So part one of our podcast is our news and numbers segment. These are our sort of, we've each picked a story with interesting statistics or figures, numbers in them that we've found for us to discuss. In a slight departure, you have chosen a white paper with some interesting statistics. Uh, the global fintech landscape challenges collaboration in cloud. Could you drill down into some of the stats that particularly interested you in this paper? Yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned, maybe as you say, it may make sense to understand, first of all, why I chose this article and then I'll drill down in a couple of the numbers that I find pretty compelling. You know, the reason is primarily because, as I mentioned, we were able to build a community now of several financial institutions, the largest financial institutions between Europe and United States, the likes of Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Stanley, City, Deutsche Bank, UBS as well as in Asia, Nomura and Sumitomo. And we see now the buy side coming in through Wellington, Point72. We are seeing a major uptake in terms of vendors, large vendors in the industry joining the open collaborative process. 
But despite we are the fintech open source foundation, interestingly, I'm seeing in a way less engagement from fintechs. I think there is a very limited understanding when it comes to fintechs at the power of open source beyond just code, beyond being, of course, a very powerful way of building technology that is co-maintained and mutualized, but really as a way to further standardization in the industry, as well as easier integration and interoperability. And ultimately, as a business model, as a go-to-market strategy, we've seen so many examples over the last years as to why open source is, is not free and, and actually deliver massive exits, both in terms of IPOs or acquisitions, GitHub and Red Hat being the sort of main examples here. And so I wanted to hone in a little bit more on the fintechs and what the, their challenges are, because it seems to me that there is a match made in heaven there in terms of leveraging open collaboration, again, as a process to address some of these challenges and particularly drilling down to, into your question. When I look at this article, I found it very insightful that first of all, by far the largest sort of challenge that fintechs are identifying, you know, with, with an overwhelming 81% of the respondents amongst these executives and leaders in fintechs is around data standardization, is around creating a more solid set of standards that can be used across the financial system in the interaction with regulators and, of course, in integrating fintechs and financial institutions. The reason why I find that particularly interesting is that, of course, Finos has been working over the last couple of years. One of our key areas is really around data modeling and data standardization, following the large contribution from Goldman Sachs of a very powerful data modeling framework called Legend, we have seen really new paradigm grow in Finos of inviting data modelers and business analysts across the industry to be able to directly model in the open through a platform that we host that we call Legend Studio. And that is really bringing the process of standardization to the next level by accompanying, by really matching open standards that sometimes can be a little abstract and still need to be implemented by different vendors with actually open source reference implementations for these data models, data bindings in different languages. And we see that as a sort of major potential for organic consolidation of the standards and the data models that are exchanged in the financial workflow. So it was interesting to me to realize by reading in this paper that not only banks, not only regulators, and not only buy side to sell side collaboration, but really fintechs are finding this as a major challenge, a major sort of business risk. And so it seems to me that this would call for them to sort of actively participate in the open collaborative process around data standardization that we have in Finos and we're seeing sort of beyond. So it seems that data gains a lot of utility from being shared when, and you're talking about standardizing in order to facilitate that sort of sharing of information. And what you mentioned that fintechs are less engaged with open source principles than perhaps you would expect. Why do you think that is? Well, I'm trying to find the right words here, but I would say in general, there's a general pattern that I'm noticing whereby I live here in the Silicon Valley and it's very established open source as a, despite some folks might not agree with this, 
there's certainly a, a very established approach to what we call the open core business model, meaning really having a commercial offering that is largely and strategically based on an open source project. Again, think about GitHub Git or Red Hat with Linux. And so in principle, when I started working with fintechs, I would have expected a similar degree of understanding that open source can be a very strong go-to-market option, especially in, a, in an economic climate where access to funding and therefore massive upfront sort of marketing-centric go-to-market is definitely more complicated as a very appealing option, as a very interesting option for this fintechs. I think the provoking answer is that I see a lot of these fintechs being very much bankers with a hoodie, if that makes sense, in the sense that you still see a lot of the very conservative and very, I would say, to an extent, obsolete way of looking at software uh, that is probably more up to 10, 20 years ago. And I mean, it's understandable as we work with banks. It took us few years before any of these large financial institutions were actually able to contribute net new software, as well as allow their developers to participate to open source communities, very much like any other sort of technology-centric company does nowadays. But you know, those are massively regulated entities. They have a lot more to put in there to be able to switch and change culture to evolve. And so I think there's certainly an element of culture aspect that prevents fintechs from really buying into the open source model. But I'm seeing examples this year, especially. Move is a great example. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They do embedded payments and they're building all their primitives in the open. I'm an advisor on OpenBB, which is trying to build a completely open source Bloomberg terminal replacement. So I'm starting to see the VCs as well. There's been a major paper earlier in the year from Andris Sanorovic talking about how open source will power the new generation of finance. And so I'm starting to see the wind change here, but I do think a lot of it goes back to this cultural idea that everything that you built is differentiating, and that is really not the case nowadays. I love that characterization, bankers with hoodies. Yeah. <laughs> Foosball tables, ping pong tables. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that characterization definitely speaks to, it is a cultural thing. And FinTech is cool younger brother of the financial, financial yes. system. And, uh, but actually, they're as um, susceptible to entrenched thinking as any other industry or sector is. Yeah, and I do believe that there really is a missed opportunity there. And I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it throughout the podcast, but if you think about it, most of the fintechs have to rely on the financial institutions to deliver their very value proposition as a, an intrinsic heavy dependency, whether it is because of access to data or transaction processing, or even just for regulatory reasons. And this is one of the reasons why in Finos, besides data, one of our major initiatives is around what we call open rec tech. We see a major potential to mutualize the implementation of regulatory requirements in the open, of course, with an advantage for the regulators themselves who can uh, then access potentially one single implementation across different regulated entities. And I think that's another major missed opportunity for fintechs. If I was in their shoes, I'd probably massively invest in, in trying to mutualize some of this technology in the open, so to reduce reliance 
on the institutions themselves. I think this is an important point that we will see develop in the next couple of years. So yeah, on that notion of collaboration, my selection was a story from our website, European Central Bank picks five partners for Digital Euro Initiative. You have some, some thoughts on this? Yeah, absolutely. And this is a very interesting article in a way for both of my hats, both of my roles. Yeah. As you might know, earlier in the year, Finos partnered with Hyperledger, our sister foundation focused on distributed ledgers and the Digital Dollar Project, which is a think tank that works here in the US primarily to promote central bank digital currencies for what we call the Open Currency Initiative. We really want to foster the idea of there's no need for each jurisdiction and institution to build their own digital currency. How about we collaborate on that in the open? And so adding now my Linux Foundation Europe GM hat on, very encouraging to see that in Europe, we are seeing the topmost financial authority, like the European Central Bank, take active steps for their digital new initiative. And really picking, if you look at the partners, a really good mix between banks, vendors, peer-to-peer -peer sort of payment networks. It's really a good example of choosing representative across the whole value chain, which is something that we're very familiar with in Finos. It's all about following the value to drive collaboration. And so one comment that I would have as I get more and more involved with Europe is I think actually there is a major potential, despite one would think of the United States as a, a single country versus the EU being 27 plus different nations. I actually, if you ask me, I think there's probably more potential to drive some of these collaborations top down in a way directly from the policymakers or from the regulators in Europe and in the United States. And that is generally due, I think, to a different approach and relationship with the government and with the regulators in Europe, whereby, you know, they're a little bit more empowered to regulate than here in the United States. And also, in a way, less fragmentation, because ultimately the European Central Bank and European-wide regulators have a way to impose rules that have to be adopted. So it might take a little bit longer, but they have to be adopted by the single member states. And here in the US, you see a lot of fragmentation across the different states, across even the jurisdictions of the different regulators. And so I'm actually not surprised that you're seeing the ECB taking a, a aggressive and innovative position here in, in developing the digital euro. So very good news. Well, it seems to come down to culture again. In the US, it has that kind of rugged individualism. It's very dynamic. There's a lot of private enterprise. So naturally you will have a lot of fragmentation whereas in Europe, they're a lot less averse to centralization and harnessing the power, having a central planning agency or focus. And like you said earlier, if every region or every country has its own CBDC or digital dollar or whatever it may be, then you've then got to link them all up at some point eventually if you want to have some sort of global currency, which yep. is just another headache. So yeah, like you say, even the European approach may take a little longer, they may not land on the moon first, but when they do, they'll be ready to capitalize on the opportunities. 
Yeah, I agree. I think you're right in terms of the fragmentation of the landscape and the more entrepreneurial, free market-driven approach here. But I do think it's also a chicken and egg. And as a European living in the United States, I certainly have the positives and the negatives of both approaches, meaning as I, again, go back to Europe and I explore how the Linux Foundation can help addressing some of the biggest sort of technology policy goals that they have there, I realized that Definitely on that side, you have a massive hole in terms of funding and in terms of a lively commercial open source ecosystem that you see here in the U.S. going back to that sort of open core model. On the other hand here, I think, as I was saying, it's a bit of a chicken and egg. I think a lot of the fragmentation that you see is also a result and a function of the lack of regulation, the lack of standardization. I make always the example, again, as a European moving to the US, my wife, who's American, had to teach me to write checks when I moved here 10 years ago. Literally, I probably had seen my dad when I was a kid in the 80s in Europe filling checks. I had no idea how to do so. Or I can send money across Europe for free, same day through the IBAN network. And here I have to wait three days and or pay for whatever sort of wire transfer. So I think... Of course, there are then solutions like Venmo, Zelle, you know, that took took over and, and solved that problem. But I also do think that there are certain problems that should not be necessarily requiring the private sector to intervene because of a shortcoming in terms of standardization and because the parties cannot agree on a standard. I'm a huge, as you probably understand by now, I'm a huge fan of spending your time and your effort where you're actually differentiating, where you're actually offering delivering value to your users rather than patching a problem that should not be a problem in the first place, if that makes sense. Let's move on to the second part of the podcast. This is our more interview-styled section where we focus the discussion into a specific industry topic or sector Let's start with a broad opener. Can you give us a top-level elevator pitch for Finos? What's its purpose? Who does it serve? What problems does it solve? Absolutely. So Finos, in short, enables faster innovation in financial services through the use of open source and open standards as an effective collaboration model. So in a way... We're not about open source for open source sake. This is not about charity. This is not about a philosophical view. It's really about a mean to an end. This is an industry that for many reasons has been behind in terms of innovation. I would argue that despite a lot of very interesting technologies built within financial institutions, oftentimes it doesn't see the light of day or the viral adoption that we've seen with some open source technology out there because it's not open source, because it stays and lives within the firewall. And so three years ago, when we created Finos, 
we realized that there was a major opportunity for the industry to innovate faster, mutualize the cost of non-differentiating software, and get a better access to talent. This is a major issue, not just in the United States, but generally in financial institutions across the world, whereby top talent is now more and more looking at working for technology companies versus financial institutions. And we do believe that part of that is because they're not allowed to continue fostering their own individual profile through open source and because the financial institutions have been leveraging proprietary software forever, which ultimately makes it much harder to find already skilled talent in that technology. In terms of who we serve, we are, of course, a non-profit, part of the Linux Foundation. We're a membership organization. And despite, of course, our members get additional benefits because they effectively fund our work, all of our projects are open source. Anyone can consume and contribute to our projects. There's no pay-to-play or there's no paywall behind getting value out of Finos. And that's why we're seeing not only financial institutions, primarily investment banking, that's where we come from, but we're seeing more and more retail level collaboration, consumer banking type collaborations. Not only we're seeing the buy side now coming in with the idea of really having a better interaction and a better workflow with their counterparts and really starting to lead the way when it comes to you know, defining standards, defining APIs, ultimately they're the customers. And so we're seeing them really stepping up. Not only, as I mentioned, technology companies, both big tech that want to increase their presence in, in financial services, but also increasingly fintechs. As we said before, there's still much more to go, but we're seeing a lot of fintechs now understanding that there is value in and not only the technology that is open source out of financial institutions, but in agreeing on common standards, which then brings me to the potentially more controversial actor here, the, the regulators. We do think there is major value for the regulators as well in a better enforcement process through common standards and through common pieces of software that also will address their own talent crunch. I mean, if a financial institution is not able to hire top talent, think about a regulator that can't really offer the same type of compensation that you would see in an investment bank. And ultimately, we think that regulators are the ones that are poised to even gain the most by open source collaboration, because in the long run, we would hope they can actually produce machine-readable open source regulation, which drastically shortens the full cycle of regulating, implementing the regulation, and then enforcing that regulation. So this is probably a little longer than an elevator pitch, but I want to wrap by saying that ultimately open source is a positive sum game. Each of these actors participates to our community because of their own strategic goals, but through open source, we are able to deliver collective value to the whole industry. And so, again, this is not charity, but it is something that enables each party to drive to their own objectives while doing something good for the industry and for us and users of the financial system. Well, that segues quite nicely into my next question, because open source is very much a part of the internet and this utopian idea that the wisdom of crowds and collective action can, we can create great things together. How does um, Finos anticipate developments in Web 3.0, whatever that may be in your mind? 
to impact the work of the of your firm both positively and potentially negatively are there technologies involved in that web3 moniker that you are excited about or non-plussed about or you think overhyped it's a really interesting question and this is more so my opinion than necessarily representing my wide board of directors where i'm sure each institution has slightly different view towards web3 i'm a huge fan historically of decentralization open source itself is probably the prime way that for the last 34 years we have broken monopolies broken vendor lock-ins and built a model of innovation that is completely distributed. We were very ready in a way for the pandemic to continue being productive. Open source communities are born and bred across the world and they build their very process in a way that is accessible and allows participation in a completely distributed way. Now, when it comes to Web3, certainly the outlook has become more positive for me in the last couple of years. Even in my board, I would say that a couple of years ago, I could not say the word blockchain. I could only refer to it as the B word, partly facetiously, of course. But the reality is that, yes, there was a, a hate and love relationship between financial institutions that were, of course, curious to explore this world, but certainly saw a systemic risk there in terms of redefining the very notion of what a financial institution is. Now, fast forward, past sort of the, the ICO <laughs> debacle of 2018, 2017, I do think we're seeing a more mature approach to Web3. I still have some reluctance in the sense that you see a lot more coming out there that doesn't necessarily have a clear use case or solves a specific problem in mind, but I do see a lot of potential in the metaverse, in central open source, central bank digital currency, in certainly many areas that can definitely revolutionize the way we interact with services and goods out there. It's funny that you mentioned collective wisdom though, because, and that brings me to a close here, I actually happened to have a sign on my shelves back here, which is a quote from George Carlin, one of my favorite comic actors that says, never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups, which I'm not necessarily referring to Web3 people by that, don't get me wrong, but I do think that unless you have entities or collaborations like Finos, like foundations that can help bring together some of these efforts into an organically consolidating ecosystem, we risk to actually go from a, what I refer to a centralized mess, which is a current siloed financial system, to a completely decentralized mess where you don't have standards, you don't have common APIs, you continue to have the need to have point-to-point, peer-to-peer, bespoke integrations and transformation of data formats and data representations. So what I'm trying to say here is that I see a lot of promise in Web3, and I'm a huge fan of, again, decentralizing and breaking monopolies. But on the other hand, we need a more, I think, conscious and conscientious approach to standardizing, once again, data, APIs, and those elements that would create a much more harmonious financial stack in a decentralized world. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. I mean, at the moment, it's a bit of a wild west. Lots of opportunity. Every, it's a bit of a gold rush. But there's a risk there if it stays that way that you, like you say, could make a not the same mistakes, similar mistakes to what we have already. Rather than it being a centralized mess, it could just be a decentralized mess. But yes. uh, this, there's definitely a lot of promise there. The next question I have, it's fairly, it's in the same wheelhouse to some extent. Has Finos come up against, I imagine you have, legacy entrenched technologies, managerial practices that resist change and push back against your approach? I think you already mentioned one there with your board and the B word. What sectors could you uh, highlight that you think are particularly resistant to new ideas and technologies? And conversely, which ones are most open to them? I don't know that I can pinpoint necessarily a sector, although generally speaking, I would say we started from the closest of the closest at Finos, meaning not only we work with large financial institutions, but we work with their investment banking arms, which generally is the closest sort of to the crown jewels of many of those institutions. So understandably, there's been a lot of reluctance early days. Once culture and processes were not in place, there was an actual risk of potentially leaking very valuable intellectual property, not only undermining sort of your competitive advantage, but also potentially exposing yourself to pretty hefty regulatory fines. So I would say from a sector standpoint, Certain investment banking has been the closest, but it is opening up, especially if you compare it to the more consumer, retail, open banking movement. I do think that open banking has created a really interesting dynamic whereby it started as a regulation, of course, and the CMA 9, the nine banks that sort of were volunteered for being the initial sort of implementers of open banking, but it then evolved relatively quickly into sort of this realization that there is value in potentially monetizing APIs and monetizing in a safe, of course, way, the exchange, you know, an open ecosystem of data across different financial institutions and this plethora of new services that you can build on it. So I think certainly open banking is an area where we will be looking way more closely in the next year to expand beyond our sort of original investment banking footprint. But going back to your question, rather than looking at it on a vertical sector-based view, over the last five years in my experience, I, I kind of would like to almost pivot this on a more organizational chart, horizontal view of the world, meaning I'll elaborate on that. When I think about the personas, when I think about the actors that we work with to bring Finos to what it is today, over 50 projects and 60 members supporting us. Of course, we had the heart and minds of developers from the get-go. You know, we were the advocates. I've been many times in conversations where developers told us, please help me talk to compliance, help me talk to my executives. They do not understand open source. And so from the get-go, developer level, technologist level was, we had them at hello, let's say. Then we went to the executives. I happened to have the honor to sit on the board with several executives of these organizations. And I have to say that at executive level, it took some time, but it wasn't hard to make the pitch around. And it's just like, look, the industry has been in a downward pressure in terms of the margins are starting from 2008, 2009. The margins are definitely smaller, both in terms of the 
top line, higher cost of regulation after Dodd-Frank and so on. They've been on a talent crunch, on increasing talent crunch, and they understand that if you base yourself on open source framework and open source programming languages, you have a much bigger shot at attracting existing talent that is out there rather than having to bring it and scale it up. As we discussed, there has been major seismic shifts in the industry that are redefining what it means to be a financial institution. And so you've heard over the last 10 years, probably every financial institutions calling themselves or wanting to be a technology company. And so ultimately, even at executive level, the pitch was pretty compelling and it didn't take that long to convince those folks that we needed a foundation, that we needed a place where open source could safely happen in this industry with an eye to compliance and regulation of the complexities of this industry. So what's left is what I refer to as the frozen middle, the sort of mid-management layers whereby, by no fault of their own, but the incentive is skewed towards being conservative. There simply is not a long-term incentive to take risks and jump on the open source bandwagon, especially when your outlook is six, nine months to a year. Generally, an open source investment, when you're lifting and shifting an internal legacy system for a cool new open source platform, well, that generally is going to take two, three years. And so when your outlook is just till the end of the fiscal year, it gets really hard to justify that type of investment while it's much easier to sort of be risk averse, be conservative, keep the status quo. And so going back to your question, yes, I think top down, we're doing great. Bottoms up, we're doing great. We really have to do more to incentivize and understand that Innovation doesn't just happen by opening an innovation center and throwing a bunch of beanbags there, but it becomes, it only comes into reality if you adjust the incentive system across the organization to drive the frozen middle towards being a bit more innovative. Hopefully it makes sense. It does. I like that. I like the term frozen middle, like bloated middleware, isn't it? Kind yes. of, which you find, and again, it's yeah, short-termism. This idea that data and information wants to be free is appealing. It's attractive to a lot of people. But I think relinquishing control, particularly for those who are in the middle, it can be a scary prospect. Um, so again, it's down to culture and persuading them to come on that journey with you. It doesn't surprise me that the new recruits and the CEOs and C-level execs are on board. And it also doesn't surprise me that the ones in the middle aren't. But um just talking a little bit about developers there. So Finos employs a wide range of different experts from financial services, technology, developers. What's the secret source that binds these somewhat disparate contributors? What inspires them? What guides them to work together? We've talked a little bit about it already, but I just wonder if you could go in a little bit more detail on that. Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, it's important to say that Finos itself of course, we're part of the Linux Foundation, which is over 300 people. It's probably one of the largest nonprofits out there. It's definitely the largest shared technology investment in the world. Uh, but Finos itself, we're only in terms of employees and sort of part-time contractors, we're probably about 15 people. In fact, all of our development happens by contribution, as you would expect in open source communities. Every one of these institutions of our members, and even besides our members, as I mentioned, 
You don't need to be a member to participate to our community. They are the ones that put a huge amount of sweat equity into our projects. We've had over 1,500 contributors over time across the 60 projects, standards, and special interest groups that we have. So with that caveat, I think there's two two sides to the answer. There's a reason, I think, why contributors come to Finos, and it's because, of course, they, on one hand, see the liberatory aspect of open source and what open source can bring to this industry in terms of modern developer experience, modern workflows, being able to not reinvent the wheel at every next job that you go. Uh, and that honestly applies both to executives and to developers. So this is, despite many of these organizations have tens of thousands of people working in the IT departments, well, it's a pretty small world. You see actually developers and executives popping up in the next financial institutions. And oftentimes they find themselves solving the very same problem that they've done at the previous job. And so in the end, technologists are technologists and they are always attracted by the opportunity to solve something that is bigger than themselves, to collaborate with other super smart people in the industry that are not necessarily within the same firewall. And so open source really has created a, what I refer to as a sort of a, as a liberatory, as a liberational uh, dynamic here where developers feel empowered to more and more drive some of the decisions and influence the decisions that are made at technology level. And so I think that's definitely one of the prime reasons why we're seeing such an uptake in contributions with our contributors growing 30, 40% year over year. Uh, when it comes to the team, I think there is a massive buy-in into this vision that open source collaboration can drive a better financial system, more inclusive financial system, a more diverse financial system. We have diversity and inclusion as part of our OKRs, both when it comes to team representation, board representation, and even community representation in terms of our contributors and participants to our events. So I do think that the common trait of my team, which is, by the way, a fantastic team that keeps me sane every day, is really this idea that open source has the potential to address some of these really long-standing challenges, and especially for those who, as you said, we bring together an interesting mix of folks. Hi, I didn't work in financial services. I've learned a lot in the last six years, but I've been born and bred in open source communities. And so from my side, there is the experience of what I've seen happening in pretty much any other industry and see the potential to apply that to open source. But there's a lot of folks, like, for example, our CTO, uh, Jane Gavronsky. Uh, she's a very senior former executive at uh, several investment banks, last of which he was head of reference data at Credit Suisse. And she comes from a completely different angle. She comes exactly from the angle of, hey, I have seen these problems over and over again. And I've seen how sometimes even standard bodies fall short in trying to address some of these interoperability issues. And I see open source as a, almost like switching gears as a brand new way uh, and potentially a vital chance to address some of these problems. So I see more and more of this pattern of folks that are tired, really, of working within financial institutions and see open source as a really revolutionary, really transformative way that this industry needs to embrace very much like, again, as I said, any other industry in the last 15, 20 years. Well, they say the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Yes. 
Yeah. I suspect there's probably an element of that. Uh, just briefly, uh, for such a decentralized institutional company or organization, clearly collaboration is key to your success. How did the companies get through the pandemic with remote first working? Were there any sort of impacts at all? Have you implemented any changes as a result of that two years of craziness? Well, it's interesting from the standpoint of the foundation ourselves, as I mentioned before, open source communities are born and bred as decentralized location independent Remote first. You know, really. remote first approaches. And so from our standpoint, in a way, we actually were way more ready to uh, this type of, of global event than some of the regulated entities that we work with. In fact, I have to say, we have seen a massive acceleration in 2020 of our contributions. Some of the largest contributions that we've received from financial institutions, legend from Goldman Sachs, perspective from JP Morgan, walls from Deutsche Bank, couple of contributions from Citi, they all came in 2020, which I think it's very much due to the digital readiness and digital acceleration that this bank had to get on board with as part of the pandemic. And so when it comes to the institutions themselves and our contributors, yes, of course, the first couple of months have been complicated as they had to massively reorganize. But I have to say, I have not seen a reduction in productivity, if anything, an actual increase in productivity when it comes to open source collaboration, open source participation. And then there's been an, there's a fun anecdote here. As, a, as an open source community, we host meetings and online meetings as part of our projects. And when I started in 2016, I was employee number one. I went on and you know, signed, signed up for, I think, GoToMeeting at that time. As I started having meetings with banks, everyone was like, nope, man, you got to get WebEx. That's the only tool that we can ever use. Please stop sending us this hipster Go to meeting type tool invites. So we moved on to WebEx. Again, no comments about the usability or not. I'm just going to leave it at that. Fast forward to 2020, by sort of June, I would say even May, June 2020, I've had multiple banks, six or seven banks, starting sending me emails of the likes Hey, dude, are you still on WebEx? You should really switch to Zoom because now every day and everyone is about Zoom. So just a fun anecdote to say that, yes, these institutions can be perceived as very conservative, but when facing an unprecedented event like the pandemic, they are quick to make things happen. And in a way, this is this mimics very much the parable that we've seen or the trajectory that we've seen in open source. If you remember when I opened, I said, this is not about open source for open source sake. There's only so much change that you can impact by leading with open and saying you must do open source. We have seen much more success when there is a strong shared business problem or business challenge that we can solve together through open source. That has accelerated drastically that engagement. And so in a way here, probably no institution would have moved to Zoom unless there was a pandemic. But once the pandemic came and this was a platform that demonstrated to be compliant and just scaled to the needs of a global pandemic, they made it happen in a couple of months. It's similar, same really with working from home. It could have been done 10, 15 years ago, we had the technology, it's just the lack of will was there. 
and companies were, nah, no one can work from home, no the culture, et cetera, all that stuff. Some of it's nonsense. But then when they had to do it, they had to do it. And they realized that actually it wasn't that bad. And uh, now the cat's out of the bag and it's changed forever. It just makes you wonder, like, makes you wonder what other things such as things like that could change on a dime if only they were forced to make those changes. One last question before we move into the last part. We touched on open banking earlier. When it comes to data privacy, data protection, that kind of thing, how does FEMAS, how does, as an institution, how does it navigate those sorts of like concerns and regulations? And have you found novel or innovative ways to utilize data while also protecting privacy? Because obviously financial data is probably up there with health data in terms of just how private it is to people, but it's also extremely valuable. So I just wonder if you could like talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a massive opportunity sharing data while respecting privacy. I think it's a massive opportunity for this industry, but it's a really complex problem to solve. And so the way we've approached it is to try and divide and conquer the problem. And so even before thinking about sharing data itself, we are looking at standardizing data models. So meta models, the representation of data needs to be the same if we want to even have a chance to then go into sharing data. And so when I go back to Legend as the platform that has empowered us to build several financial objects related collaborations, there's multiple rationales there. One, of course, opportunistic. We have this platform we have built strong collaborations with existing industry consortia like ISDA, the International Swaps and Derivatives Association, ISLA, the lending side, and ICMA from the bonds side of the house. We, in fact, just won a bid to move their common domain model into Finos as an open source project. Yep, the CDM is moving to Finos. It's The cat is out of the bag. And in a way... So, as I said, on one hand, it's opportunistic. We have the technology. We have seen a lot of interest. We've seen this as organizations and existing consortia, understanding that open standards can only go so far if you don't pair them up with language bindings and, and reference implementations that get these standards, you know, through open source components in the hands of developers in a, the most frictionless possible way. But on the other hand, we think this is a good way of breaking down the problem. Meaning if you lead with data sharing, you're going to start getting so many objections because of course it intertwines with privacy. It intertwines with a very advanced, even pieces of technology like differential privacy in AI. And so you start really getting into very complex conversations. So what we thought is that really focusing first on agreeing on a representation of common data, it's very much non-controversial. We all benefit from it. We all can have an input in it by the means of the open collaborative process. And once we have standardized models and we see the critical mass of adoption for those models, then it makes sense to 
use those models to actually have some kind of shared data pool or data set. We see a lot of potential, honestly, very much like open source has broken in a way a lot of vendor lock-ins from a technology standpoint. We see a huge potential for the same thing happening in data in the sense that collective wisdom and collective data can undermine certain of these monopolies that are very much centered around data and that ultimately don't deliver necessarily added value other than you have your own proprietary format and you have to comply with it. And so, yeah, that's the way we're approaching the data conversation. Start with models, start with something that any way you would have to agree on if you're starting to share data, the representation of it. And then once we see the right opportunity, jump into actually sharing data. And I think open banking is certainly one of the areas that we'll be looking very closely in 2023. So this is our fintech jail. This is where we ask for an overhyped, overused industry term, buzzword, trend, jargon, earworm, anything that gets the guests go. They've seen or heard enough of and want to get shot of. So this, I've not heard of this one before, but I have a feeling I know what it means. Can you tell us what it is first and why you've picked it and yeah, why you think it should go into our financial room 101? Absolutely. So you're right. This is maybe less of a recognized or overused word, but it's certainly a phenomenon that I see more and more happening and that I think it fully deserves jail. And the word is open washing. Let me first start by explaining what it is. It is something that you see and that I've seen throughout my career more and more connected to early stages of maturity in the open source understanding and the open source pro process. And it's very simply a word that describes using the word open in your marketing and in your approach while really having nothing open in your offering, neither open APIs, nor open standards, nor open source, let alone open source. And look, I've seen it over and over again in different industries, as I said, especially when industries are, and it, especially when consumers are less mature as to what truly open should mean when it comes to associated to a commercial offering. And that over time, it fizzles out as consumers become more and more savvy as to what they should be expecting. One example is I've seen plenty of offerings out there where they talk about open finance or even they say open source and there's no link to a GitHub repository. You really cannot be open source if you don't have open source code out there. Or sometimes they say they're open source and you see a piece of software that is not under an open source initiative approved license and therefore it's technically not open source. This is all to say that as consumers of software, you really need to start learning more what open means. What are you getting in terms of open? Is it not everything should be open source? Let's be clear. As I said before, this is not a philosophical idea, but if you are portraying yourself as an open 
platform, well, at least you got to have open APIs that are not behind the paywall. You must use open standards rather than defining your own data formats. And ideally, you would have some open source components, whether it is ideally the core part of your platform, going back to that open core model, or at minimum, uh, SDKs and developer tools for integrating with your software. And so I would like to preemptively, even before it becomes a widely used word in financial services, I would like to preemptively put open washing into the fintech jail. No, I think it's a good shout. I mean, the obvious for me, the similarities or analogy is greenwashing, right? And as that area matured and consumers have become more savvy and they are more inclined to, and they, and it's easier to do their due diligence, it's harder for companies to just talk the talk. They always have to walk the walk. Do you see that as open source technologies become more utilize more mainstream, more available, that there will be that maturation with consumers and they'll become a lot more savvy and it'll be harder for companies to use open washing. I think so. I think open source is not going anywhere in financial services besides becoming more and more of a first-class citizen, meaning we are now seeing a lot of the financial institutions engaging not just in Finos, but across projects in the Linux Foundation, one major area being open source software security, probably have seen over the last 10 months following the Log4Shell, Log4J vulnerability, a massive increase in awareness and this understanding that everyone has a sort of a role to play in securing the open source supply chain. Just even earlier this week, a bipartisan bill has been put forward in Congress here in the US, open source security. And so under the assumption that open source is only going to grow in this industry, like we've seen it do in all other industries in the last 20 years, yes, I can definitely see that consumers, also through the work of foundations like Finos, which are very strict into only fostering true open source and through and through, if you want, both from the contributor standpoint and the open governance, but also from a consumer standpoint, making sure that what we say it's open source is truly open source from an IP standpoint. I think it's going to be part of our mission, but absolutely, we expect consumers to become more and more savvy as to what they should be expecting when they are working with a quote-unquote open technology. So hopefully we can nip this phenomenon in the bud as early as possible because we have seen that play out in other industries and it doesn't end up well. I used to sell commercial open source software and there was certainly a differentiation at that time to be open source in the sort of early decades of this millennium in the early 2000s that, you know, over time, open source is not a differentiator. It, open source becomes almost like a table stake. And so you'll see the same, I think, phenomenon happen in financial services. Great. I think that's a great opportunity to wrap up. I thought that was a fantastic conversation. Thanks, Gab. I really appreciate it. Before we sign off, do you have any social or websites that you want to plug? Oh, absolutely. Finos.org is our website, twitter.com slash Finos Foundation is our Twitter. And also from my side, Mind the Gabs is my Twitter and Mind the Gab is my GitHub profile. So hopefully we'll hear from you and we look forward to seeing you in our community. I'll definitely be following you, mate. You can find me on Twitter at Pew Show and on LinkedIn by searching my name, Alex Pew. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at Fintech Futures, and on LinkedIn by searching Fintech Futures and looking for our gorgeous logo. 
If you liked this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcasting service. We'd also really appreciate it if you could help our other listeners find the podcast by writing a review or recommending us to a friend. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you, Gab. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye-bye.